Weekly News by iGaming Next is brought to you by Playson, quality games since 2012. This episode is sponsored by Zimpler and Push Gaming. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of our weekly news live stream. My name is Jake. I'm the managing editor of iGaming Next, and joining me today is Ryan Butler, who is our US editor. Hi, Ryan. How are you? Doing well, Jake. Glad to be a part of this. How are you doing? Yeah, pretty good, thank you. Great to see um, a brand new video from our brand new sponsor there, Push Gaming. We should always thank those guys at the top of the pod, as well as Zimpler and Playson. And uh, also anybody that's tuning in this week, thanks to your support as always. And please do feel free to to comment in the chat as we go. Um, We've got a pretty action-packed show for you, hopefully, this week. We're kind of in the depths of Q3 results season. Um, They started coming out the last couple of days and we barely had time to process them, but we'll um, we'll do our best to, to break <laughs> them down for you a little bit today. So, Ryan, I thought a good way of doing this would be there's really been four main companies, right, to report their Q3 results so far, certainly in Europe anyway, and that's Kindred, Cambi, Betson, and everyone's favourite, Evolution. Um, I thought we could do structure it a little bit. So we, we talk um, about kind of the key talking point from each of their results and also their US strategies as we've got you on the pod. That seemed like the sensible thing to do. So does that sound good? I'm excited. Let's do it. <laughs> Great. And that's not all. We've actually got, um, we've got a very special guest joining us today from an even more exciting location. Uh, you probably recognize him, actually. I think he's about to jump into the, uh, jump into the stream with us now. Surprise, surprise. I'm the guest, the guest of Rowan Show here today. Here we go. Joined by our oh, gaming next, Pierre. Great to have you back, Pierre. It's been some time since you're on one of these, I think, with uh, with G2E and various travels around that. Absolutely. I know I went to uh, to ground zero, if you will, after, after G2E in Vegas, over to, uh, to the state of California, where uh, the uh, Prop 26, 27 is about to be voted on. But it was surprisingly quiet in the state of California at the moment. The uh, aggressive marketing push and the um, TV advertisement and so on and seemingly stopped completely. I don't know, Ryan, if you noticed that as well. Um, Pierre, it was, it was eerie. Feeling. I, I was doing all I could uh, to look for these ads anywhere, radio, on, uh, my targeted ads online. You would think that with everything I do on Twitter, everything I do with my searches, you would think all my targeted ads would be sports betting when I was in California, uh, television, radio, silent. They were all pulled. They were all gone. It's interesting. Being on the ground, I talked to a lot of people there, all of whom, sports better or otherwise, had seen those ads previously. Not many of them had very favorable impressions of it. Um, but it was just so weird that it, they were just gone. And it's just the latest indication. Uh, actually, uh, late last night in the U.S., early this morning, we saw California Governor Gavin Newsom also come out uh, against Proposition 27, which is the online sports betting one that DraftKings and FanDuel, a couple other big sports books, have contributed tens of millions of dollars to part of a larger multi-hundred million dollar campaign. So, yeah, here to see all of that just just vanish was, was pretty eerie. And just the latest sign that it is just not looking good that online sports betting and probably retail are just not coming to California. Yeah, it, it, it doesn't seem like it's going to happen. The, 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 um, the, the hope is, I suppose, 2024 is what uh, what I hear over there as well. And uh, I suppose uh, one way or the other, the uh, operators will need to learn how to uh, cooperate with the local tribes uh, in the state of California in order to get this passed. I suppose uh, if anything was proven during this uh, uh, cycle, and battle in California is that the tribes are just very powerful. And in order to get things done, you have to work with them rather than against them. Exactly. If we do this again in, in 2024, it'll be the exact same result. And it'll be 600 plus million dollars again, just down the drain. Most of it, even though the tribes did back their own proposition to allow their own in-person sports books at their casinos, uh, they spent almost all of their money, basically, literally all of it, uh, stopping 27 stopping the online sports betting one not even promoting their own so they are very fearful of that the online sports betting one and yeah it also kind of they've said tribal gaming leaders in the state it has poisoned the well uh what DraftKings and FanDuel did specifically also obviously they weren't alone but just that not working with the tribes originally even stuff like putting billboards uh on tribal lands or near them uh they got uh, tribal members very offended so yes if there is going to be California sports betting it's going to have to either come through the tribes in some capacity 
Yeah, I mean, some of those quotes you reported from G2E, Ryan, were even vengeful, I would say. So I think um, there's probably even less chance of it happening in 2024. They're not likely to have forgotten the the events of the last year's campaigning or so. Yeah, Um, and again, it's worth on their terms, however it works. Yeah, and um, for our viewers, it's well worth staying tuned for the the second half of the pod as well, because I think Ryan's going to dive into a bit more state-by-state legislation in in the States. That's... uh, his bread and butter, and for those of you that don't know, he's he's based in Florida, I think, which probably explains the uh, the fishing rods behind him there that you can see in the background. I had to show up in Florida, absolutely. <laughs> Great. Right, Pierre, as you're our special guest, um, do you want to choose where we start this week out of evolution or kindred? Let, let's start with kindred. I think let's start with kindred. We keep uh, the evolution okay. as a cliffhanger. Yes. <laughs> Great. Okay, so yeah, let's let's have a very sort of top line look at the results. So revenue was down seven percent for Kindred in Q3 to two hundred and twenty-eight million, uh, and underlying EBITDA was down fifty-two percent to forty point three million. Now that's all we're going to do for the numbers, so don't panic. I'm not going to uh, send you all to sleep. <laughs> so yeah, I was thinking like a key. T- we we could look at the kind of key talking points for each operator before we go into their US strategies. And I think the one thing that dominated Kindred's results and earnings call was obviously their return to the Netherlands. Um, Q3 this quarter was the first time we were able to see them welcome Dutch customers back after they were uh, effectively locked out of the market for nine months, having chosen to withdraw. So that certainly dominated the headlines. Um, and also most of the questions in, in, the, in the earnings call were, were on that as well. Um, basically I think a lot of people were hoping that the return to the Netherlands would kind of be the trigger that turns the business around after some some pretty poor consecutive quarters Um, and the CEO did say that that would likely happen but we haven't seen any evidence of that yet Um, it's worth pointing out obviously that Q3 last year was when the Euro Championships was on so and they had their full, fully-fledged business in the Netherlands, whereas this time around, they're still trying to win those customers back. There's more competition in the market, and there's no major football tournament until December. Um, so it's proving a bit more difficult. In spite of that, they said they're hopeful of getting 15% market share in the Netherlands um, in Q4. So they've set that target. We'll have to see how that progresses. I'm not sure off the top of my head how that compares to their market share last year but um pierre what were your kind of initial takeaways from from, the, from this report from kindred yeah no uh, um in, in regards to the market share i suppose it's difficult uh, to know before uh b- before the market uh, launched in a regulated environment exactly what the market share uh, was over there but what is clear is obviously that uh, it was um more or less Kinder's most important market pre-regulation with uh, 35% of their entire group EBITDA deriving from this one single market that was taken away overnight uh, last year, obviously. And I think what is interesting is um, when the market re-regulated and Kindred uh, now went live through the Unibet.nl site in July, um, that they were not able to leverage the database that they have been building for the last, you know, 20 years in the Netherlands. This was part of the um, part of the re- regulation requirements is that uh, you have to start from scratch. Uh, essentially, you're not allowed to use that database. Previous customers have to sign up uh, a new account. And so there's a lot of friction uh, that was created in order to relaunch the, uh, the market. And I must say that I'm very surprised of the fact that, uh, uh, that Kindred has been this successful this early. Uh, they noted in the quarterly report that uh, uh, there's already positive EBITDA contribution from the Netherlands uh, market already from the uh, launch month. So already from July, um, the, uh, the, uh, the market is uh, already contributing positively to the EBITDA uh, result. This is a big surprise to me, at least, because I thought that, uh, uh, that Kinder was going to have to do a pretty significant marketing push in order to sign up new accounts that would then become profitable over time. Uh, but uh, it seems like um, they have done better than what they expected in the market and they are uh, targeting to achieve a 15% market share uh, by the end of the year. And uh, they are targeting to, to become market leaders uh, by 2023. So this is a, these are very aggressive targets, um, especially considering that Bet365 that had a head start, they were 
they, they launched uh, in Netherlands already um, already last year. Uh, they had a head start, of course, to uh, sign up these new customers. Um, so, so that was uh, a quite positive surprise for Kindred, I would say. Um, but you know, on the other hand, if we look over to uh, North America, to the, to the US, uh, the story seems to be a bit more bitter, where uh, they, they are disclosing some numbers uh, now, obviously, and, and um, 10 million pound um, minus contribution on the EBITDA side. Uh, against a 7.8 million uh, pound uh, revenue, so uh, obviously the the EBITDA is um, the, the EBITDA margin is um, is less than 100 minus 100 percent. Um, they have a 7.2 million uh, pound uh, marketing cost uh, I- included in that, of course, and it doesn't seem like they are getting that much um, uh, foothold in in the US uh, overall. If, if we look at their uh, at, at the revenue over time. It doesn't seem like they are able to grow that revenue. I know that in the quarterly report, they mentioned that they they have grown uh, revenue fifteen percent year year over year, but <laughs> that can be very well explained by the fact that the uh, uh, the dollar has strengthened against the pound by uh, about twenty percent, and so really and truly, uh, dollar for dollar, they have actually decreased uh, the revenue um, year over year. I, I don't know. I mean, Ryan, like, do you hear anything about Kindred overall in 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 the US in your reporting? Do you do you come across Kindred often when you when you research? What's your feeling like? Um, that research and both on, on the grounds here. Um, so first of all, no one knows what Kindred is in the US, and then almost as few people know what Unibet is. They are just not a factor in the US sports betting world. Um, I have used them. They are in Virginia, my home state. Um, they are in New Jersey. They're in a couple other states. Um, I appreciate them. They, uh, there is so much, uh, two big things. A is that even with their marketing costs, they're being dwarfed by the major U.S.-based operators, the U.S.-focused operators. They just don't have the competition there with it. Plus, again, you have uh, the big four, BetMGM, Caesars, DraftKings, and FanDuel. Uh, plus, then you have the next wave, uh, Penn National, or Barstool, that rivers points bet that have all spent a lot in our different marketing. And then even then Unibet is kind of behind maybe 10 other books that have better brand recognition. So it's just very hard for them to get a foothold of the, the year, you know, the U S we are just notoriously bad. And it's true about understanding with the U S it was so smart for Patty power to get our bet um, flutter, excuse me, to get FanDuel because that's a brand U.S. people know. No one even knows what Patty Power or, or Flutter or any of that of, of Betfair is. So that was really big. Uh, a and then B is just their interface with it. I think that's very popular in Europe. It's more bare bones. It's more straightforward. This hey, let's place our bet. Let's get um, get it going. In the U.S., that's not what we're looking for. Uh, betters are flocking towards um, promotions. They're flocking towards exotic single game parlays. They're flocking towards uh, different celebrities or athletes or whoever endorsing things. They want the bells and whistles. They want all the craziness. They some betters are still trying to figure out exactly how to read a point spread. What is um, in the U.S. odds? What does minus one ten mean? Um, all that stuff. So Unibet's interface is also difficult. It's just not translating to a less mature U.S. audience that is still very much driven by bonuses, promotions, bells and whistles, and a bare bones uh, interface will just, will just honestly, U.S. betters are almost turned off by it. And they go, well, why would I use this when I could use one that's giving me, you know, all this free money. It's giving me these crazy promotions. It's giving me these already pre-made single game parlays. So two really big reasons why Unibet has just, I mean, I would say beyond struggling, the numbers are showing it. Just no U.S. sports betters even know what they are. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You, you touched on the on the numbers there, and and the data kind of backs up everything you're saying, Ryan. I think our friends at Eilers and, and Crycheck in their last sports betting report said Unibet had an, an estimated GGR market share of zero point two seven percent. So, I mean, they're not even they're not even scratching the surface. Um, like management said, eventually they want a mid-single-digit market share across their states by 2026. And they've been really clear that those states are going to be those that obviously have iGaming and sports betting, which we know is only a handful. Um, but Kindred is primarily an iGaming operator. It does offer sports betting. But until iGaming proliferation kind of you know, go, goes on a wider basis in the US, they're going to be pretty limited, especially when they are competing against some of those companies you've already mentioned. Yeah, you got a question. The um, 
the strategy a bit. Uh, since they are targeting states that are live for both uh, uh, online sports betting and online gambling, but um, considering that the market share is so small in those states, um, why not go for a more localized approach, which uh, which uh, Kindred is so good at? Like there's specialists um, in certain markets in Europe, and they really pinpoint those markets, and they they really do well. Uh, like why 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 not just pinpoint one or two states in, in the United States and try to conquer those states, uh, you know, kind of um, as a starting place? Because uh, at some point, the shareholders will start raising questions. Uh, uh, they, are, they are not, um, uh, they, they are far away, obviously, from showing any sign of becoming profitable in the market. <clears throat> they, are, they are losing yeah. 10 million uh, pounds against the revenues uh, that are less than 10 million pounds. Um, uh, and so they have a long, long ways to go. And obviously, at some point, this money has to be ma- made back. And what is the strategy? Like, if they if they want to achieve um, middle uh, uh, single digit um, market share in those states, well, so far they have decreased the uh, the market share in the in the last year and a half. Also, they haven't been able to increase the market share. And so um, I think at some point the investors will start asking, "What is the strategy here? Like, what uh, what makes you think that you will be able to achieve this?" Um, this mid-single digit uh, market share at some point. And it is just interesting yeah. too. I mean, if iGaming, online casino gaming is your end strategy, which is honestly all sports books, I get it. Unibet is in uh, New Jersey and Pennsylvania, the two big ones. But it's interesting that they have sports betting in Virginia and Arizona. Those are two difficult markets to get into. They have um, pretty strict caps. So it's, to, to their credit, they got into those states, which is a big deal. It's hard to get into them. But what are you accomplishing in those t- types of states when you are even in a limited market, uh, when you have only 12 other competitors or so, and you are still getting 0.025 market share in those types of markets? Whereas, and then also, why aren't they prioritizing? And I know it's tough, but West Virginia and Michigan, which are online casino gaming states, those have seemed to be big priorities. Why not try that there? Why not say, hey, you know what? They were not a huge sports betting operator, like you said. We're going to be, though, a dominant iCasino player, dominant uh, slots, table games, all that. And it just doesn't seem to be a working so far. Who knows? But again, yeah. uh, struggling with uh, brand recognition and interface and, and add all that, it's you can, you can see why it's tough in the U.S. and those numbers are, are showing it. Yeah. I mean, aside from the fact they've obviously had fires to put out in Europe for the past three or four <laughs> quarters that take, have taken a priority, I think there's... There's two other points to note here, especially based on what you said, Pierre. So you mentioned like their local localization strategy in Europe that's worked so well. We had Brad Allen on, on Weekly News last last week from Islands, and he said the same thing. He said he doesn't understand why more operators aren't going for like this localization, this local heroes uh, approach, as they call it. Um, but we did actually see the first indications of, of Kindred kind of taking that on board um, this week. They signed a a relatively small retail sports book launch deal in in Washington um, with the Swinomish tribe. Um, so that potentially shows a, a slight deviation in, in strategy for Kindred. Um, but the other thing to note, you talked about investors asking questions. It might be that management never wanted to go into the US in the first place because like strategically it didn't make sense. But we've seen now their biggest shareholder, Corvex Management, is about to be elected to the board for the first time with an extra seat going from six to seven. And those guys are pushing for a sale. We know that they they want the business sold. Are you going to be able to sell an operator that has no aspirations at all in the U S no. So you have to, you have to keep that in the conversation for the public markets. um, If you're basically driving for a sale of the whole company. And Jake, I think that's just really, that's a great point with it. Uh, The, the Washington tribal casino deal, which is, nice and great and all that's going to generate almost zero revenue. I mean, uh, it's just going to be a couple of betting kiosks and it's going to, you know, it's going to be almost nothing, but it does look good on a balance sheet because that's one more state they can say they are in, um, you know, and it adds to it. They can go Unibet is now, I I don't know the exact number, but let's say instead of seven, it's now eight states that they're live in. Um, It does look better for a U.S. sale on the bottom line, even though Washington state it is just going to be an incredibly, incredibly small. It just isn't going to generate any revenue at all. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Watch this space. Um, I think that's probably all on Kindred. Unless there's any closing comments, we can move on to uh, to Evolution, um, which is always exciting 
reporting their numbers, um, which were kind of as explosive as, as always today. So re- revenue was up 37 percent to 379 million. Uh, and EBITDA was up 35 percent to 261 million uh, on an operating margin of 69 percent. Um, so, yeah, they're still doing pretty good, I would say. Um, Pierre, do you want to bring us in with, with what you think the, the kind of key talking point was from, from these results? Yeah, p- pretty good. It's an understatement, I, I would say, Jay. <laughs> uh, I mean, it is always funny with evolution because you just never know how shareholders uh, and the markets are going to react uh, to Evo. When you think it's going to go up, it goes down. When you think it's going to go down, it goes up. And I think today was um, a, a shock for pretty much all investors who are who are who who believe in the company of evolution because the uh, the quarterly reports i would say it couldn't it, there isn't much that could have been better with the quarterly report with the exception of the rng segment that is uh, still not showing growth and we're going to go into that in a, in a little bit but on, a, on an overview we have to take a helicopter seat here for a moment and look at the world right now you know there's a war breaking out in um in in in, in the ukraine obviously that is ongoing uh energy prices are inflating uh, inflation in the entire world economic uncertainty um this just it's, the feeling is just that we are heading into a very uncertain time and there's a lot of instability in this world but the only stability that we can mention right now is the fact that evolution is just completely rock solid, uh, showing constant growth uh, in, in a very unstable market. Um, they, they are, in fact, growing in every single market that they report, uh, if, you, if you look at continents, then, of course. Um, and, and so the company is just rock solid. Um, on, on, on top of that, obviously, uh, the, the, um, the, the, the RNG segment is um, seemingly not able to uh, to, to show any organic growth as of yet, and that must be uh, a quite big disappointment internally uh, that they that they haven't been able to to show growth yet. But again, we have to take the helicopter view and look at uh, at the performance of the company overall. And it is it is a very strong quarter, and um, the market's open today, and the share fell. Uh, let's see what uh, what it is in current writing here or. Or speaking rather, yeah, it is. Um, it's back. It's back to basically break even in, as we are speaking right now today. Uh, the, the the share price, which is just an, an absolute shock. And we were talking about this before. Like, how, how is this possible? Because the company also broke uh, the um, um, the analyst expectations. So it's not like you can say the analysts expected them to grow even more, and they weren't living up to that expectation. No, it's the opposite. The uh, the company actually broke the analyst expectations. Um, and so even still, the, 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 the share price fell. And I, and I would argue that there are two reasons for why the, uh, why, why the markets have reacted the way they have today. And I think the first and most obvious point is the fact that um, about a month ago, uh, it was disclosed that Martin Carlison, the CEO of Evolution, and Todd Haushalter, the, uh, the famous CPO, uh, both of them uh, bought additional shares in Evolution. And considering that they have already very big positions, um, and they they decided to buy even more shares in the company. It was an extremely strong sign uh, of strength, especially when the markets are the way they are and the uncertainty is the way that it is right now. So the fact that they sent this very strong message to the market, it uh, sent this, uh, the share price in a rally. So over the last month, uh, the share price uh, increased by 30%. And so you can you can make the argument that this very strong report and the fact that they broke the analyst expectations uh, was kind of priced in already, considering that the share price had already uh, ticked up 30%. Uh, so that's one possible um, explanation uh, in, 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 in why the markets reacted the way they, um, they reacted. And, and I would say that that is probably the most, um, the, the most likely uh, scenario here as well. Um, the second point is uh, perhaps the fact that the RNG segment is just um, a bit disappointing to the shareholders. That uh, it is um, it is a segment of the company that can potentially um, lead to even greater uh, increase in in revenue. But so far, uh, Evolution has not been able to use their management expertise and the in-house um, expertise in order to grow that segment organically. They are able to grow the t- the, the the top line and the bottom line 
by uh, acquiring other companies like uh, No Limit City that was closed during the quarter. But investors also want to see uh, organic growth in that segment. Yeah. I mean, yeah. It's worth pointing out that, that the RNG segment of the business only accounts for 18% of revenue. So it's not, um, it's probably not as big an issue as it sounds. It's just, I think it's magnified because this is the first time Evo's management has kind of put a public target out there and has got nowhere close to reaching it, right? So they, they said that they wanted double digit um, organic growth across their RNG segment, um, admittedly in a few quarters time, but at the moment they're only at 1.9%. So there's some way away from, from reaching that target. Um, yeah. I mean, it's, it's yeah, important I'll, to point out as well, I think, uh, Jake, that um, when we compare, for example, uh, Evolution to a pragmatic uh, play, which is uh, probably the most significant competitor to Evolution today, um, Paramatic Play is not a publicly traded company, so we can't say for sure. But um, the uh, the rumors at the moment and um, kind of what, what people are are saying is that the um, EBITDA of um, Paramatic is fairly similar today to the EBITDA of Evolution. And Paramatic had a, an absolute rocket trajectory in their RNG growth, uh, particularly. Um, they have been able to... Uh, to grow revenue significantly. Same if we look at other companies who are disclosing the numbers, like Relax Gaming, are able to increase revenue from RNG segment uh, organically, but Evolution is not able to produce that organic growth. And so they are seemingly underperforming uh, against their competition, like pretty significantly underperforming against the competition. And so I suppose that is, um, that is more why the investors perhaps are a bit disappointed as well. Yeah. That makes perfect sense, and um, like you said, I, I've given up trying to predict uh, the stock stock reactions this year. <laughs> I, I, I wish I could remember the source, but I think I saw somewhere that 2022 officially is is the worst year for for public market investors, <laughs> um, and this is kind of further evidence of that, I suppose. Um, but let's look at the U.S. strategy quickly as well. So, so North America generated 50 million in in Q3, which was a year-on-year -year rise of 57 percent. So certainly heading in the right direction. Um, they've got four live studios in the US, Pennsylvania, New Jersey, Michigan, and Connecticut. Um, and I think they also have access to, to West Virginia um, from their Pennsylvania studio. But uh, the, the biggest kind of strategic move they've made in recent weeks is actually hiring their first ever chief executive for, for North America, um, a guy called Jacob Clayson, who has worked his way up through the business quite impressively. I think he joined as like an account manager in, in 2016, and now he's wow, chief wow. executive of the, of the US business. Um, so yeah, obviously a hard worker, super smart guy. But I also found it interesting because this is the first time, in my memory at least, that Martin has kind of you know delegated CEO responsibilities elsewhere. Um, I might be wrong. Maybe people in the chat will have to have to correct me, but... Um, yeah, quite a quite a um, show of trust in in Jacob. Absolutely, I, I I think this is the best thing about the agaming industry overall. It's like there's so many people who started in kind of customer support yeah. or in the very early, uh, like in 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 the very basic um, positions of this industry, and 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 are able to work themselves up to this very senior position. One of my better friends is uh, Lasse Marisug. He he started as an affiliate manager. He's now the CEO of a you know, a 500 million euro company six years later. Um, this industry is amazing for that. It's, uh, if, you, if you have talent, if you work hard, you can, uh, you can, you can really get anywhere. So this is a, another testament of that. I think that's pretty cool. Yeah, there's hope for us yet, Ryan. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. You gotta get Pierre out of the way. I'm, I'm already planning yeah, yeah. on it. <laughs> exactly. You, you have your devious plans uh, here, right? It's, it's, it's all right. Um, <laughs> just just a quick final note here for me and the U.S. perspective on, on evolution. Uh, yeah, these are good indicators of the, the potential growth. Obviously, it's a huge, huge player. They seem to have a role in almost every single online casino operator, uh, U.S. and obviously in Europe. Uh, these live dealer studios are really a big deal. People love those big drivers. Um, our big question remains in the U.S. is how many states are going to get online, are going to adopt online casino gaming. 
your online slots, your online table games, much more politically challenging in the U.S. than even sports betting, which has its own issues, as we've talked about. Um, there is a lot of political pushback from really both sides of, of both the right and the left have, have big concerns about basically what would create a slot machine in your pocket, um, you know, more or less accurate with it. So we'll see. There is going to be a lot of rumbling this year. Um, Illinois, Iowa, Indiana, all I states in the middle of the Midwest, the middle part of the country. Uh, New York is always talking about it. That seems almost politically impossible. But, you know, we're looking at some of these other states and, and there is a domino effect. We've seen it the similar trajectory. The states that you mentioned um, in the U.S., but specifically New Jersey and Pennsylvania, are always at the forefront of gaming. That kind of helps trickle down to some others. We saw that West Virginia, which borders Pennsylvania. We now have Michigan, which is a little, doesn't border on, but does that pressure these other Midwestern states I talk about? So that'll be, again, a big thing I'll be following next year when legislative the state legislatures, most of which return in January. So we'll have to see. If we're going to see continued growth in the U.S., it's going to be in new state markets, and it's just a, a difficult process to get there. Yeah. Brilliant sum summarization, Ryan. Thank you. And um, a quick hello to Lars and Elizabeth in the chat and also anybody else that's that's still with us. Um, moving on from, from one legendary company in Evolution to uh, to one legend in Pontus Lindor and uh, and his company, Betson. Um, the picture of Pontus in, the, in their quarterly report for Q3 was him in all his cycling gear and a bright red cycling helmet. Um, he, he, <laughs> he's, he's one of a kind. Um, but looking at their, their finances, so this was their strongest ever quarter, um, I think for the second or third time in a row now. Revenue rose 18% to $200 million, um, and EBITDA was up 19% to $48.6 million. Um, the key talking point, though, wasn't actually the financial results, but it was the acquisition that they've made, that they made alongside the announcement, which is another B2B sportsbook provider called Kicker Tech. They're a Lithuanian-based company. Um, and this, despite the really good results, again, the share price dropped, Pierre. And I think this time it was because it took investors a little bit by surprise because up until now, their whole kind of public market strategy has been based on this B2B sportsbook, proprietary sportsbook software that they've built. And wheeling that out on a B2B basis to other clients, um, and I think some people interpreted this as, well, maybe that's not the finished solution. And if they're having to buy another company that effectively does the same thing with the managed trading um, and the different sports products. But I, I asked that question to Pontus and he said, that's, that's nonsense. As he would, he said he has absolute faith in the, uh, in the sports book product. Um, I think to be fair, the, the sports betting results kind of speak for themselves over the last few quarters. I think they were up 45% year on year in Q3. Um, but yeah, that, that was a, that was a surprise. I certainly didn't see that coming because they've talked so, so glowingly about their own B2B sports book. Um, I don't know what your reaction to that was. Yeah. I mean, um, you know, this is predominantly for their US strategy, uh, which uh, they have decided to go into as a B2B and to sell their sports book. It's a very competitive landscape there are a lot of sportsbook solutions out there of course and this is not exactly bets on spread and butter and i don't think the market in general sees this product as kind of a tier one solution say um but uh, to some extent i think that um you know look like bets had to do something in the us and um to to Pontus Lindvald's credit he and the management team understood perhaps early that uh, entering the us market you know, around the 2020 time where um, where the market was so hype, um, they realized early that it was perhaps going to be a very expensive venture and uh, they really had to commit uh, to that market if they're going to do it. And they were just not prepared to do that. They, they decided to go for other emerging markets and uh, in particularly in Latin America. Um, and um, I mean, the results are even, of course, now that uh, they took all the right strategic decisions at that time, uh, avoiding... Um, uh, this expensive venture in North America with, uh, you know, uh, questionable results and uh, focusing on these um, uh, other emerging markets. It has been uh, an absolute blessing for uh, for Betson, of course. And uh, it seems to me that in order to please the shareholders <laughs> to some extent, they had to do something in the US and, uh, and, and going in there as a B2B with their sports betting solutions was perhaps the way to do that, you know. Um, 
Uh, so, so, so that seems to be a little bit the story here on the B2B side, and it's, it still remains to be seen if this strategy is going to be successful. I know that Jesper Svensson and, and um, uh, Christian Grimsby, a couple of Betsson people, they were in Vegas for G2E, um, just for a day, actually. You can maybe ask yourself why they just chose <laughs> to go there for a day. Um, um, perhaps uh, something going on behind uh, the windows there. I don't, I, I don't know. I have no idea. Just speculating. But, uh, but uh, if you make the commitment of traveling to Vegas for, for a day, you would imagine that you have some pretty important meetings lined up. Um, so, uh, so, that, so that can be something to, to, uh, to look out for. But um, yeah, overall, I, I just keep reiterating. I think Betson is an absolute machine. Um, the, uh, the decision to bring back Pontus uh, a year ago after he was uh, fired by Patrick Svans, the, the former um, uh, chairman of the board, was ab absolutely the right decision. Um, Pontus has gone from strength to strength, uh, leading the company. And uh, the share price is a reflection of that. It's doing really well. Um, it's actually one of the few companies that are... Let's see here if we go back a year. Yeah, it's actually one of the few companies that uh, are um, that are doing well on the stock market. If we zoom out for a year, they have actually increased their their share value by uh, almost forty percent. Um, if we look at the last twelve months, uh, basically, so the company is clearly doing all the right things in a very very challenging environment. So all kudos to Betson. They they just keep doing the right. They just keep taking the right decisions. Yeah, and I think, Pierre, if you're talking about that, yeah, if leaving the U.S. was the right decision, which I understand is clear that BetSafe is, I'm pretty sure, still only available in Colorado. In Colorado. But it's only, it, for, it's only for like a beta version. They, they only launch in Colorado just to showcase the sportsbook product. So it's not, they don't really have any ambitions in Colorado other than to showcase yeah. the product. Yes. And I was going to say that this is, they're, they're just not in the U.S. I mean, no. beyond, I, I was I was kind of knocking on Unibet, how it just doesn't have much presence. I mean, that Betson is not even, you could be, it is, it's a foreign language. I mean, no one knows in the U.S. even what that is. So, I mean, I, I think there is what a company like that, as strong as they are and everything with it. I agree that the, the forward B2C sportsbook. Are you really going to come in now uh, without a U.S. name recognition and all that, no matter how good your product is? So, yeah, it probably is the smarter play not to try really hard in the U.S. Uh, different approaches. Maybe that is B2B, whatever that is. But, yeah, that safe is just not <laughs> – they're just not even any – that's it's below Unibet. And, again, Unibet is, is 0.025. So uh, that's, that's a good point there. It's, it's cool to get the European perspective because in the U.S. it's, it's just not even, you know, it's it, it, bet safe is about doing as well as Butler Bet's Sportsbook, which is, you know, we have zero dollars. <laughs> zero dollars revenue, but you also are a zero dollar. You're also a break even on EBITDA level, which means that you uh, are surprised. really you'd well. Surprised yeah. the <laughs> <laughs> no, that's a good point to make. Um, and yeah, I mean, having B2C Sportsbook Live as a showcase makes sense to a degree, but if it's only in one state, I'm not sure how effective that showcase is going to be. Um, and they've also signed, they haven't signed any clients yet, right? Which is obviously where the proof is. Like they just haven't signed oh, a client. Yeah. So until that happens, it's difficult to give them uh, much credit. But it's again, going back to our friends at, um, at Islas and Crycheck, they they actually said BetSafe was the, the biggest surprise package in their latest round of, of app, Sportsbook app testing. They said it had a really um, slick and intuitive front end. So they've, they've paid some money to get that developed. And um, if it's working for consumers, then that might improve the B2B prospects for it somewhere down the line. But Pierre, I think, I think you hit the nail on the head um, about their strategy of, you know, embracing kind of regulating slash grayer markets in Latam and, and Africa. And, um, you know, we know they're in Turkey as well, which is a big generator. Um, and reading between the lines, I have a feeling that this new sports book they've acquired is a little bit more agile um, in terms of getting into those markets with less stringent regulatory compliance um, procedures. Whereas I think the Betson Sportsbook software they've built for the US or elsewhere, I think is obviously very technical and takes a bit of time to roll out. Whereas I think this new kicker tech software might be uh, a bit quicker to market. 
um, potentially with fewer questions asked. But like I said, that's me reading between the lines. Uh, there may be nothing in that at all. Also, also Jake, real on that note as well, as you're bringing with it, a kind of gray slash kind of emerging, they, I believe they're in, are in Canada and they're in Ontario, uh, which is a big one, specifically Ontario is, is, a, is a pretty large population. So you can see absolutely some progress there. Um, this is just another interesting market and it's maybe again goes with their strategy staying away from the US. Yeah, absolutely. Um, great. All right. From one sports book supplier sort of to another in, uh, in Canby. Um, let's look at their results. So at the top line, revenue was down 12% to 36.7 million and a bit that was down 47% to 10.7 million. And I would say they probably had the toughest quarter, uh, of any of these companies. And the obvious talking point, um, was, the seasonality and obviously the lack of major US sports um, in the calendar during Q3. Um, the CEO, Christian Nyland, described it as a notoriously weak quarter, uh, which is true. But this, um, I think, went particularly badly for Camby, who is also kind of still reeling a little bit from the loss of, of DraftKings as their kind of top tier client in the market. Um, any thoughts on their results, Pierre or Ryan? Yeah, I mean, my thoughts are just again zooming out a bit uh, on the um, on the company of Cam because it's an it's an interesting company. They are back on the on the stock market. They are back to the same levels as uh, pre-pandemic. And I remember during the pandemic, it was basically uh, from a Swedish point of view, it was evolution and it was Cambi that the shareholders were so excited over, and uh, the feeling was that these companies are going to go to the moon. You know, obviously. Um, uh, both Cambi and Evolution has come back to earth a little bit, but particularly so Cambi, because during in the beginning of the pandemic, the hope was when they when the US started to open up is that Cambi was going to become the natural sportsbook provider of um, most of the major uh, or or many of the major uh, tier one US operators, and obviously it became clear quite early that the operators uh, does not want to outsource their tech. They want to go for vertical integration and, and bring uh, tech in-house. And so uh, upon the realization uh, that uh, that was going to be where uh, where things were heading, the share price uh, started to come down. And then uh, obviously some unfortunate um, announcement as well of uh, loss of existing customers and, and, and so on brought the, brought the share price uh, down. And um, I met with Cambi uh, uh, during G2E um, and um, they made it quite clear that they are moving away from this uh, kind of um, turnkey solution that Cambi always used to be, um, where where uh, where Cambi um, would basically uh, uh, tell operators that uh, in order to work, like you have to take on the uh, the entire product uh, suite in order to work with Cambi. Um, however, where the trend is heading in the industry overall is to, um, that uh, we are heading towards more a uh, modular approach where um, different operators have different needs. Some operators want to take on the full solution and others um, want to take part of the solution. And so Cambi is now adopting uh, that modular approach um, and um, they are starting to communicate this uh, strategic shift towards investors. And investors now need to have patience with Cambi because it's going to take time uh, for, uh, for Cambi to um, uh, to fully kind of roll out uh, this uh, this new strategy, and whenever there's a strategic shift in a company, it takes time to roll uh, to to roll those changes out. It takes time for uh, for for, uh, for these changes to bear fruit, and so uh, um, so looking at Cambi from a quarter to quarter basis, so even year on year level, uh, it's not going to be relevant right now. You know, so uh, so so yes, it was a a disappointing quarter from um, from shareholder uh, point of view. Uh, I think the share dropped by like 15% on the day or something like that. Uh, but uh, since then, it has been recovering. So uh, the share price has almost recovered to, to just before the, uh, the, 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 um, the quarterly report was announced. And um, uh, let's see. I mean, Cambi, uh, they, they have a lot of in-house expertise, uh, a lot of in-house knowledge. And um, I wouldn't be surprised if, if uh, Cambi starts making a comeback uh, with, uh, as they are rolling out this new strategy, actually. 
Yeah, it's um, Pierre, Jake. They're going to have to do something different, at least from the U.S. perspective, where it has been a it has been a rough couple years, really. Uh, when the U.S. sports betting liberalization starts out in 2018, Canby was the dominant tech provider in the U.S., and I, I think it was something like New Jersey and Pennsylvania, two obviously huge markets. I believe they had the majority of of, of handle was with their or you know close to it. They they had a lot of customers and all that, but yes. The DraftKings blow when they went um, public, when they merged with SB Tech, uh, was huge. And then now just kind of not as significant from a revenue perspective, but almost emotionally, is uh, Penn Entertainment, uh, the, the parent of Barstool Sports, um, is officially cemented the, the withdrawal process and is kicking them off with the, that kind of implementation beginning the next year's football season. They have some work to do. Camby will stay on board until that ends. But it's just now that's officially official. Um, Penn, uh, you know, for most of our listeners knows, bought the score bet. They're going to use their um, in-tech platform and everything with that. Uh, so Camby is off there. They lose another a pretty big U.S. customer. Again, Penn is less than 5% handle, but it's it's a big one, Barstool. So now they're basically just left with Bet Rivers um, as well as Play Sugar House. Or are there two major um, remaining U.S. things? And that's just a small fraction of the overall market. So, yeah, it is it is tough now. Making some progress recently in Canada, uh, they struck a new deal um, with one of the operators up there. Um, you know, they obviously they, they have some tribal casino uh, retail books. They have some different partnerships. Uh, they still have a lot of again technology and house expertise, like you said, a lot of experience, a great reputation. But it just it is it's just a, a dark time in the U.S. for Cami, to be honest. Um, uh, just at least from what you're looking at, when everybody wants to go in house. Uh, fully, and then that is what everybody is doing now. Everyone's with it, and it just it makes it definitely difficult for Camby. As strong as a company as that might be, people just aren't using their product right now, and that's ultimately what matters. Yeah, yeah. but th this is this is also, you know, when when it seems like everything is against uh, an organization like Cambo in this situation, they lost clients. You know, uh, it's dark times in the U.S. Uh, seemingly, uh, the numbers are are not looking great. But, but again, they are taking, albeit a bit late perhaps, they are now taking this modular uh, approach which might win uh, clients back in the US. And so I would make the argument that maybe this is the time where investors should be looking at Cambi. Uh, if there's ever a, a better time to, if you believe that, uh, that a strategic shift will uh, bring them back, then perhaps this is the time to look at that. Yeah, it's in-house tech, it, the, the broad concept of it is very difficult to do, and it's very difficult to do well. Um, and Cambly has shown that it can do that, and there, there's so much value to that. However, they can utilize that. And so when you have an asset, which they do when they are, it's just now finding and deploying it the right way. In the U.S., it's been difficult right now, but there's still obviously a lot of potential to go. And even in the U.S., we are yeah. still very, very early on. What we The first five years or so of sports betting, it's going to look very different in these next five years. So we can see how a talented, well-resourced company like Canby can learn to adjust this new market. Yeah, precisely. Um, we're obviously, you know, in, in the middle of putting together our agenda for our New York show next year. Um, and we are on one of the advisory calls um, with analysts this week. And, and uh, Ed Young from from Morgan Stanley said, I don't think you need to, uh, you know, to, to do a panel with the question in-house versus um, outsourced because that question was answered a hell of a long time ago now. Um, and Camby yeah. is one of the kind of the victims of that. Um, but it's, you know, it's worth pointing out they still have some some top tier clients. Kindred in, in Europe is the obvious one. Um, for sports betting and in the US they still have some some businesses the ones you've mentioned but Daniel Gratzen is Maxim Bet as well and um, mm. they just signed a deal in in Ontario with Great Canadian Gaming which was um, yeah, yeah. again it was a, re a retail sports book deal so it shows they're kind of yeah in that diversification process I guess and I think um, selling off their bet builder technology as the first part of that mod modularization strategy that you spoke about Pierre looks like um strategically the next move for them right and it should also be pointed out you, you mentioned obviously uh, uh, kindred being a big client and on a global scale um uh, the estimates from analysts uh, is that uh, kindred is by far the biggest client of um uh, of um of Cambi. and we shouldn't forget as well that this is a temporary revenue driver right now because uh, Kindred has announced that they are looking to to build their own in-house sportsbook, right? And so 2026 is the year perhaps where Kindred will migrate from Cambi as well. Um, again, puts, uh, puts a question mark into 
into into Cambi and um, and uh, and what comes next uh, if they lose that major revenue driver. I don't think Cambi has disclosed exactly how big client um, Kindred is, but um, estimates believe that I think it was the Pareto or someone who estimated the Kindred to be at the size of like thirty to thirty five percent of entire uh, group revenue. Um, and so again, a big blow to 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 Cambi, but um, but again. Uh, switching focus to to this modular approach might be a um, revival for the company. Yeah, and like you said, that that timeline, those companies are definitely still wedded to each other for the next sort of five years, at least, I would say. So that's a problem for another day for Cambi. I think yeah. they've got enough on their plate at the moment. But um, I, I think that's probably a good place to to leave it, actually, gentlemen. I think that was a, a nice summation. I'm sorry, Ryan. Ryan, we didn't get to, to you know properly go into the state by state developments, but I think you did a good job of uh, of sewing them in there in between segments. Um, we'll have to get you back next week so we can go into that a bit more in depth. Always happy, Jake. It's what uh, it's it's given me a job, and when it continues to go on, there's always chaos <laughs> and new developments. The U.S. is really fifty different countries working as one. And we see with the regulated casino and online sports betting world uh, that they all have very, very different approaches and very, very different structures. And it keeps me very busy. So always happy to talk more about it. Yeah, you should give a shout out to your your Twitter spaces as well and potentially a, a U.S. podcast that, um, that viewers could look out for in the future. Yeah, please. Uh, so it, I get confused with the time zones, but for our American audiences, it is <laughs> noon Eastern time. It is 9 a.m. Pacific, so it's a little bit later. It's usually 5, 6 uh, um, in London or uh, Central European time. So please come in. We do it live. We like to have your questions. Uh, we actually got to talk about Maryland this week. Really great reception with it, what we're looking for, and all the, the latest news that goes on. It is so hard to explain a lot of this. So I love the Twitter spaces because it gives me a chance to talk a little bit more through all the different complexities and, and why these different things go, why you can or cannot bet with this company at this time and all that going with it. So, yeah, I'd love to do that again, uh, noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific, U.S. time. But, yes, we also, I think our first teaser here, we are beginning the move the gears on getting a podcast going. So you can hear even more of me. Uh, we will be focusing again <laughs> on the U.S. North American markets, um, hoping to get a guest each week. We'll also have the, the biggest headlines as well as maybe things you might have missed from the week before. So getting that going, hopefully, is sooner than later. So very excited for that as well. Yeah, can't wait for that. It's just a shame you won't be able to utilize that beautiful studio that Pierre's sitting in right now. Hey, you know what? I'm going to be there. I'm going to be in Malta this summer, fingers crossed. So hopefully we'll be able to get some recording there while I'm there. We, we'll have to do we'll have to do another another bowling session down there, Ryan. I must say, oh, I'm yeah. very impressed by your bowling skills, uh, especially after about fifteen drinks. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, thanks so much this week for for a deep dive on the key three numbers, guys. It's a, a little bit light on comic relief. Maybe we need to bring Connor or Nico back next week to uh, to remedy that. But thanks to our sponsors, Places Simpler and Push Gaming, and also to everyone who uh, who joined us and commented in the chat. Awesome! Thank you so much, Jake. Thanks, guys. Bye bye. We'll be